What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my loves. It's Bridie, and I'm here to introduce this week's guest to you. Oh, this conversation we had, oh my gosh, feels like a lifetime. It was about a couple of weeks ago now with Rachel Kramer Bustle. And Rachel is a New Jersey based author, journalist, copywriter, anthology editor, erotica writing teacher consultant and event organizer she writes widely about sex dating books pop culture feminism and body image she's written for numerous publications she's edited over 60 anthologies and as an erotica author she's contributed to over 100 anthologies um, you can find out more about Rachel on her website, rachelkramerbussell.com, which I will link in the show notes. We had a great chat with Rachel. Um, and fun fact, she taught or perhaps edited um, an anthology that included a previous um, Termion guest. I think you'll find out who in the episode, but I can't quite remember. So if I don't say it, see if you can guess. Uh, hope you enjoy the episode and Jeremy and I will see you on the other side.
talking about erotic literature. And I'm excited because uh, I don't read much erotic literature, but we've talked about it on the show a number of times. And every time we do, it makes me it makes me question why I'm not reading erotic literature. And Probably Brady, because nobody's ever bought you a book of erotic literature. And if they did, maybe you maybe you would, but you're not going to go out and buy your own book. Wait, is this is this like uh, is this like tarot cards where I can't buy my own? My own yeah. book. I need. I, it needs to be gifted to me for to to really uh, to really uh, sell the to make it work. I don't know. Let's ask the ex- expert. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Rachel, should I should I wait until someone uh, gifts me an erotic literature novel, or should I just get my ass out there and buy one? I feel like now this is the beginning of an erotica story. Like <laughs> someone is giving someone else erotica. Uh, yeah. um, maybe not in your situation, but like maybe another situation where like they're secretly like they have a secret admirer. And I I do want to share one of my favorite stories ever. But don't do this. This is not. This is. I don't, I don't think it's a cautionary tale. I love the story, but don't follow what I'm about to say. <laughs> someone told me that they bought one of my books, and when they got home pages were torn out like a story was torn out you know and I was just like that actually made me want to write a story about like the person who works at the bookstore who catches the person like tearing out the story and part of me was like I wish I had known which story because it's kind of a compliment to tell this author like FYI someone didn't steal a whole book they just (laughs) tore out your story but do not do this please I beg you um (laughs) But That's I just thought that was so amazing. fascinating. Yeah. I, I love that story. So it's funny is that originally when you were telling that, I had thought that this was gifted to someone from someone who previously owned it. And so this person that got the gift was like, oh, I can see that like my friend Bridie, it really was a fan of one of the stories and I guess like kept it for herself. Um, but that's even that's even better that it was like off the shelves Someone had just you know perusing through the bookstore was like, oh fuck, I gotta. I, I just like I, I think about that a lot because it's kind of like, okay, I understand not everyone could afford to buy the book, but right. you're gonna deface a book like that just offends my sensibilities so much. But it's still still a little part of me is like, okay, you must have really <laughs> wanted to read yeah. that story yeah. very badly. I w- honestly, this is making me now wonder like. like the statistics of the amounts of books that have bits ripped out of them and how many of those happen to be in the erotic literature section rather than any other section of any other kind of book. Cause I feel like if you're going to rip something out of a book to keep to yourself, it's going to be a book that's, that's making you horny. I I mean like, Yes. And I do think, I don't know where I read or heard this, but I think that, like my books are in a lot of libraries, um, which is awesome. I love libraries. You can ask your library to order your favorite erotica, <laughs> yeah. but I do think I've heard that they do go missing, you know, like people check them out and never return them. So oh. don't do that either. I feel oh. like I'm just telling people like, don't do this. I mean, I hope you're not, cause you weren't planning to do that anyway, but. Okay. Tell us how we should consume good. our erotic literature in a responsible way. <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay. Right. Well, there are many ways um, for books, which is what I edit. Uh, you can 
buy them at an independent bookstore or the bookstore or online store of your choice. Uh, mine are available in ebook and audiobook and print. Um, you can ask your library to order them. Um, I guess you could also like share them with some, you know, two people or three people or whatever could go in on their favorite erotica and mm-hmm. pass it around and, and discuss it. Um, I mean, basically, you know, the way you would ethically consume other media uh is what i would say Mm. um but yeah but there is also um there's lots of erotica also online there are also erotica podcasts um and apps so if you're looking for erotica i mean there's a lot of places to find it and Mm. you know it kind of depends on the types of uh both content wise types of things you want to read and the length you want to read like my books are short stories so take maybe 10 to 15 minutes to read each one let's say and some people really love that like i think for a lot of people that's a perfect size yeah. of reading because it can get you in the mood and maybe you read one or two or three but you don't have to read the whole thing all at once or you're not going to be like left hanging there's no cliffhangers but i do know that a lot of people feel like oh that's too short it's such a tease um so you know there's lots of longer full-length erotica for people who want mm like a longer story with their sexy scenes. Here's a question about like trying to find erotica, erotic literature that works for you. I I feel like it's, and this is a, this is an analogy that I'm making up on the spot, but it makes me think about like trying to find the appropriate therapist, you know, and like trying to Mm -hmm. find a therapist oftentimes involves seeing a therapist, realizing there's, there's a gap here. We're not like connecting. I need to see somebody else and like being patient, going through the cycle of finding the therapist until you find the one that really like resonates with you and and works with you and that you can develop a really good tight relationship with. Is it, is erotic literature, literature kind of the same in the sense that, that like, is there a process that you would say for folks that they should take in terms of finding erotic literature? Because I, my, I'm imagining that there is a giant sea of erotic literature that exists out there. And I'm sure that there's some parts of, of that sea that just like the temperature isn't right for everyone. And so like, it does kind of take a little bit of like navigating around that ocean to find the spot that feels nice. Um, so what I mean, you you kind of you kind of touched on it a little bit there, but like other other things that people should consider when like, for myself, for example, never read an erotic literature book in my life, but let's say I'm really kind of itching to get in there and introduce some erotic literature to my life. What are like the what are the beginning steps for someone? Like where what what should you look out for? Well, I do think there is a level of trying things on and seeing what works, like. I definitely would say if you read or listen to some erotica and you're like, oh, I didn't love that. I hate erotica. It's mm. it's like, that's like saying, okay, well, I hate horror movies because I saw one and I didn't like it. I mean, there's so much out there um, for different types of like, sexuality, different sexualities, different fetishes, and also just different writing styles. Mm. I mean, some is going to be more uh, to the point, like more just... Um, sex scenes I guess I mean my 
books, I hope, are, they, they obviously have sex scenes, but there's also a story behind them. You know, there's also more than that going on. Um, and I, I think, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I think an anthology of short stories is a great um, approach, like a first time reading, mm. because there's, there's a lot of different stories. I mean, this book coming soon, my latest has 20 stories, but I have a couple of books with 69 stories each. And yes, that's deliberate. <laughs> but those are all super short. Those take about five minutes to read. Um, so, you know, for the people who like juicy thousand page novels, like don't read that because you're going to be like, oh, this is too short. But for people who are just want something quick to get them in the mood or just like a lot of variety. I think those are great. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a podcast, my friend Rose Caraway runs called The Kiss Me Quicks. And she narrates erotic stories and excerpts and, um, you know, of all different kinds, sci-fi, you know, BDSM, group sex, whatever. I mean, you can find it on there and there's other podcasts there's a like that nobilis erotica so i think you can listen and then see what maybe what turns you on and then if you want to read on your own you can find things by the same authors so yeah but i definitely think uh you you have to experiment a little bit to see what what might work for you or mm. might not work for you i was just going to say like i think the you, you you probably wouldn't go necessarily you, you shouldn't assume that like because you like let's say bdsm film like uh pornography or or adult films um that you would like the same thing in literature form like there might be something completely different that that right. piques your interest or your imagination i would think I, th I think that's true and i think it goes the reverse too that okay if you know that you don't like spanking let's say you're probably not going to buy a book of all spanking erotica but if you are interested in that I have three anthologies all about that I love <laughs> that's a topic I love but you might read a story in something else with some spanking or a scene in a book and be like wow I didn't think I would enjoy that but because the writing was so good and I was really invested in what was happening I was turned on by that. That doesn't mean that in real life you have to like spanking or even that like you have to enjoy other scenes with spanking, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy that right. particular piece of writing. And I think sometimes people self-limit, you know, because they they go into it with preconceived ideas of what they're supposed to like or what it means about them if they like X. And I think to me, the beauty of erotica and especially that it's that it's written and you can I don't know you can get into it in a, maybe a different way than you can other types of entertainment um I think is that sometimes you are turned on by something that you would not have expected to be turned on by mm. like I think that's a real compliment to to an author when when that happens do you, do you think that comes from like the the inherent um, process that comes with reading a book. You know, it's like, it, it's one thing to like mm. flick on a porn and like watch something that's very quick and like visually stimulating and, you know, not a lot of effort. Whereas like reading a book, it, it takes, it's a little bit more mindful. It's a little slower. It's a little bit more introspective. Um, like that notion of, of perhaps 
discovering something about yourself that you didn't know existed, whether that be a kink or a turn on or uh, an idea that, that, you know, uh, kind of stimulates your imagination. Do you think that that's, that, that comes from just the inherent process that is reading a book? I do think that I think also sometimes, and maybe this is human nature or just a common thing that if you're watching something, you know, either it's a very instant reaction, like either that visual turns you on or doesn't, or maybe that person looks like your ex or whatever. And like, there's a lot of things that could go right, but things that could go wrong in terms of your interacting with that. But I think literature, you can put yourself in the story a little more easily, or you can kind of associate like, okay, maybe I don't have everything in common with this character, but something about what they're going through resonates with me. Mm. Um, So I think that can happen more easily with written erotica. I mean, I don't like to ever, you know, say like one is better than the other, because I think lots of people watch and read or, you know, depending on the the circumstances um, or their mood or whatever. I don't think they're at odds with each other. Mm. That's really interesting that you said that, like that, that notion of putting yourself in the position of what you're reading. Like I, it makes me think of, uh, this is a really silly analogy, but, but, but bear with me because I I think it, it, there's something to be said about it. I, it makes me think about, I love horror film. I fucking love horror, whether it's like, just trashy B film horror or like really good sort of intellectual, deep, slow burning horror. I love it. I love it all, but I cannot play horror video games and I love playing video games, love video games, but a horror video game, I cannot do it. Too scary. It's way too scary. It is way too intense for me. And, and the, I think the reason is, is like watching a horror film. I can remove myself from what I'm watching playing a horror film or playing a horror game it's like i am in that game like it's me it's yeah, me it's in not there. passive no it's active and it, and and there's something about reading a book that is there's something very active about reading as well that you you know i'm reading the name of the wind right now and and i don't have red hair but quoth the lead the lead character in that book has like this red-haired handsome beast of a man that's not me but when I'm reading the book, it's me. Like I'm, I'm putting me in quote shoes, you know? Yeah. I, I think there's something to be said for that. And that's, I've never really thought about that. It's really interesting. I think there's, I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly. And I'm, I am actually working on a survey about erotica because I'm writing a book of a guidebook on how to write erotica. And I'm very mm. curious about, you know, for readers, what, what they, obviously they get out of it being turned on, but beyond that, like what, you know, what makes them gravitate to one type of erotica or another, what, you know, how they interact with it. And I think it is so personal. Like it's, Mm. I think it, you can really see that, like, I'm one of those nerdy people. I'll read all the reviews of my books and especially the audiobook reviews, people, people could be really vicious, which is fine. That's their right. But I think it's also that they're just like, either this voice turns me on or it does not. And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they like the story because like we were saying earlier with the visual, like they just can't get into it. And I get that. And I don't think that's something like you're never going to appeal to everyone, but I don't think you can even really explain that. I think it's just such a, an immediate reaction that you have to someone's 
someone's voice. Mm. Like there's people's voices that I don't even, you know, I, actors I see on TV, I don't necessarily find them attractive, but their voice, I definitely find it attractive. Like yeah. if they wanted to talk to me on the phone, I'd be like, okay. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny because it's a weird yeah. sensation. Cause it's like, I am yeah. literally like attracted to your voice, but I'm not attracted to you. I mean, not that I'm going to be sleeping with these actors or even meeting them anyway. I'm just saying like, as a, you never know, personal never. fantasy, it's, it's really interesting. So I recognize that erotica is super personal. And as an editor, it's, it's sometimes challenging for me because I know that not everyone or even anyone is going to like love every story necessarily in one of my books. But that's why I really do like to get feedback because First, if someone finds even like two or three stories that they love that they're going to reread and that really turn them on, like I am very happy with that. I mean, I hope there's more that they like, but I, I always think it's interesting to hear which aspects of a story someone really felt deeply. Mm. There's something that's coming up for me right now in terms of um, sight. So I just ran, this is totally a rando point to make, but I just ran this yoga and retreat yoga ish, like movement retreat. And we did some like neural movement. So some exercises that were particularly for enhancing brain function. And at first, Jeremy, when you mentioned how reading produces like a different experience, I was thinking of like sort of the meditative space that you put yourself into when you open up a book, like you're, mm. you're prepared to like, dedicate your focus to this thing but also your eye movement is going back and forth and that has mm. a profound effect on how your brain processes information versus when we're looking straight ahead at a screen it doesn't activate the hemispheres in the same way so mm. mm -hmm. there's this really interesting play too of eye you know eye movement and imagination and your ability to mm -hmm. do these things like we're talking about like put yourself in the story and create your own sort of panorama vision of the story like playing out in front of you yeah. that is really interesting i mean i think that also brings up the fact that you know uh, five people reading the same story are probably going to picture something slightly different, even if it's written out in a certain way. I mean, and you don't ever really know exactly that picture that's in someone else's mind. Um, so, you know, I think, and I think some stories for me are more, I mean, they're largely about the rhythm of the story or the writing or the flow or whatever. And then some are about kind of more the nitty gritty. I mean, I think hopefully they're good writers are doing everything at once, but, um, it, I think it is really personal and it's not just, okay, I'm kinky. So I like kinky erotica or I'm whatever. And I like this. I think it's also just very deeply personal of like, sometimes people say, oh, I noticed this thing in this story. And it's something I didn't notice. I mean, yes, I read the same mm -hmm. story, but like a small detail, like someone, I don't know, like a, not, not, not like, not the sex necessarily, but just like another small detail that happens between people. And I always love to hear about that because mm -hmm. I think that's part of why, you know, why writing is still going on, not just erotica, but like, you know, why we're still creating new stories because there's always something, a new way to, um, share information or like mm -hmm. tell a version of 
the same story or a new story. But I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that, oh, in my books, people are reinventing what sex means or what sex looks like. I mean, they're having probably the, in many cases, the kind of sex you might have thought about, but in some cases, other ways. Um, but I think people are reading for the, for the details of it, like for how it unfolds, not just, okay, cookie cutter, this position or this kink or whatever, checking a box. Mm. So in saying all of that and, and not knowing the life experiences and, and images that people are drawing from as they visualize your story, how the fuck do you write a good erotic story? Because Mm. everybody's experiences is so, are, are so different. I mean, I think one thing is, you know, you can't try, I don't think you should even really, I was going to say, you can't try to appeal to everyone. I don't even think you should be thinking about what anyone is going to think about your writing as you're writing it. Cause I think that's so, that really inhibits you. I think you, you really want to start with either, like for me, usually I get the whole plot in my head all at once. And then I try to flesh that out. You know, I know some people will start with a sex scene or they'll start with, you know, a dialogue or some part of an interaction and then expand it. Um, And I think something that I have noticed over the years, because I've been doing this for, uh, I've been writing erotica for over 20 years. I've been editing for like 17, I think. Um, You know, a lot of people will send me stories that are good, they're well-written, but they're more of a sex scene. Like, they're a great sex scene, Mm. but they're not as fully formed as I would like to read because I think they're more like what we stereotypically think of as porn, like where it's just kind Mm. of you're fast-forwarding to the sex. Whereas I think in erotica, for me, it's as much about what happens before the sex and after it as during it because... Like, I want to know what is motivating these people to be doing whatever they're doing at this moment. So I don't know if I answered your question about how to do that. It's it's really, it's actually really challenging. Like I teach erotica writing classes, but on the spot, it's like, how do you write good erotica? Like it's, it's hard <laughs> to explain, but I think it it has to be coming from a place of, of wanting to share something about sexuality. I'm not saying you have to have like a grand theory about sex, but something intimate. It doesn't have to be something you've personally experienced, but it has to feel intimate. Like Mm. it has to feel not necessarily realistic because I publish stories about things that literally could not happen because they take place on other planets or in other universes, but it has to feel, I think, human or whatever, not necessarily human, but you know, it has to reach people in a way that yes, does feel relatable on some level, even Mm. if like you said, uh, with your book, you're reading, you would never personally be in that situation or do that thing because maybe you can't, but it still has to feel like Mm. relatable on a, on a emotional level. I think. Do you, how often are you just going about your business through, you know, your day to day. And then you just, you see an interaction at a coffee shop or you see something, you know, something that I would probably look at as mundane and don't really put much thought into it, but you see it and go, Oh, there's a, there's a fucking sex story right there. I can. I would say (laughs) kind of all the time. I mean, I'm not always looking for it, but I, I, 
like a lot of the things I've written have come from just maybe a random image. I mean, there's Mm. someone tells me a story, like my friend told me a story about how she saw this woman in, I think Paris eating French, it was definitely France, um, eating French fries with a fork. And she like described how elaborate it was and like how elegant. And I think here we think of fries as, uh, you know, I mean, I love French fries, but you know, it's not, Shovel them in your face. Some elegant thing. And I just was really taken with that image of like a burner under the plate and these like beautifully cut fries and eating them with a fork. And so I wrote a story basically where that's the premise. And then this other woman like joins her in the restaurant and they're feeding each other French fries. Um, So, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if it happens all the time, but there's been lots of times when I've, either overheard a conversation or just seen something that I kind of reframe in a way. And I'm like, okay, like that could be very sexy with a few tweaks. Mm -hmm. Is that, is it, was your imagination already there doing that when you decided to start writing? No, not at all. I think I, well, I started out reading erotica. Like I was reading a lot of it in college. Um, and I never thought I would write it because I was always a nonfiction writer, not a fiction writer. But then, uh, after that I went to law school, which is not really relevant to this, but, um, that was where I started writing erotica. And I just, I had an idea and I thought, okay, I'm going to try this and see what happens. And that first story got published and pretty much I've been writing ever since then. And it's been interesting to me, the situations from my life that I have eroticized, like some were actual situations from my personal sex life. So Mm. those, it's a little more logical, but then there was a, anthology and the theme was games and I used to play chess and I wrote a story about like a chess game and sort of a flirtation while people are playing chess and that wasn't something that I experienced while I was actually playing chess but it was really cool to transpose it into this erotic setting and Mm. but be able to use the real life insights I Mm. had to make that theme realistic and that that's something I still enjoy doing, like taking a situation that either was not great in real life, like something where you're just like, oh, I'm in, I'm on hold for two hours with whoever, like, you know, some annoying bureaucracy, like, how do I turn that into an erotic story? Uh It it helps me like cope when like I'm in (laughs) having like frustrating situations. I'm like, well, what, what, how could I twist this into something sexy? Oh, I just wrote erotic writing as my coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Do, it do, is in a lot of ways for me. Yeah, totally. Totally. Do, do you do you remember the first piece of erotic literature you ever read? That I ever read? I hmm, I'm not sure. I definitely remember in college I would go to bookstores and I would be the one I wasn't stealing anything. I just want to clarify, but I would be sneaking like, you know, reading like you know, 20 pages and then coming back like the next day and reading like 20 more pages because it was like exciting, but I didn't know if like I should buy it or not, you know. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but I read a lot of short stories in the beginning. I, I do have one of the books that was one of the first books I bought, which is called Virgin Territory. And it was true 
lesbian sex stories. And I was really fascinated by them because they were real life stories. And, you know, I think those have a different kind of uh, tone mm. or they're, they, you know, they have different kinds of details. Um, and I was just really intrigued by it. And then I just started reading all sorts of different kinds of erotica. Mm. Are there, are there any like, like in terms of classic erotica, like historical erotica, are there any to like, in your opinion that are sort of must reads or that you would recommend? You know, I, I have to say I am a bit <laughs> lacking in having read the classics. I have in the past year or two, like read some for some book clubs and they're like, I, I can't, I think we read Little Birds by Anais then I can't, it was one of hers, but I can't remember which one. And I was prepared to be like wowed by it. And I remember I was not. And I mm. think it's because some of it was, I mean, I'm intrigued by her story that she started writing it for like a dollar a page and she had this patron and all these things, but the details of it, some of these things, I'm like, this is not consensual. This is problematic. Like there were things that I just couldn't suspend disbelief around to get into. Um, and, and I think that is the case for a lot of people, like they'll be going along reading erotica and if they re reach something that they feel is not just, they don't like it, but it's problematic, then it mm. kind of kills the mood. Takes them out of it. So, We've kind of talked about that a little bit a over little the bit, years yeah. on, on turn me on because <clears throat> I, I also, I, I think it's a nice nin, um, uh, it, but it's it it has a preface that describes exactly what you're talking about, where how her how patronage um, informed, and and the the requests from her patron about you know what he wanted to what they wanted to read, um, and I, when I got into that book, yeah, there's like definitely some non consensual stuff, and there's some incestual stuff, and there's some age stuff that's like does not doesn't fly. What do you like? we've also had this conversation about it in pornography or in, in like exploring like really taboo stuff that, that even though it's problematic, it's what turns some people on. So I'm, I'm wondering like, where do you stand on the, like on that? Mm. I mean, I think that, you know, there's certain things that, you know, my publisher won't allow. And there's certain things that I just don't feel comfortable with. So like, if it's something, well, if it's either of those things, like I'll just tell an author, if I really like the story, otherwise I'll like try to work with them around it. But I do think like, especially around consent, I always want to make it really clear um, that everything is consensual, even if like the author, it might be very clear to them, but if it's not clear to me as a reader, or I don't think it will be totally clear to mm. other readers. And, you know, sometimes I do think different things are open to interpretation because there was a story I published um, about a hookup in a cupcake bakery. And it's very, it's kind of over the top where this boss and worker having this hookup and the other people are watching. And some people called out that they felt like it wasn't really consensual on the part of the people who were watching. And I totally hear that. And like, it was something I tried to work into the story as I was editing it. And like, that was a situation where I felt like I, I could suspend 
this belief a little bit about like, okay, in real life, this would never fly. But within the context of the story, I felt like it was okay. Some people didn't. And I, I took that like to heart. Like I'm like, okay, like in future, I will make sure that it, it's more clear or it's written maybe mm-hmm. a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I do, th- but there's other elements, you know, there, I think it's complicated. It can be complicated, you know, mm-hmm. because you do need drama and tension to, I mean, it can't always be everything just like everyone has a perfect life and is having orgasms on every page. Like that would be boring. Like you do need dramatic tension on some mm-hmm. level. And like, it, you know, sometimes cause I, my job is like, I put out a call online and say, send me stories about this. And you know, people send me stories and I have to winnow them down to the ones that I think are the best and also that work well together. And and it's often challenging to try to figure out like, I like this, but something maybe doesn't quite work. And like, can it, can it be something that can be improved or does it just not work for me? Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. It's interesting. Something that I was just thinking about is in theater school, we would have to sometimes bring things that we had worked on at home to school and present it. And there were definite visceral moments of like, that's, that's a little too much. Like I just remember Jeremy, I don't know if you're in class, but, and I won't name this person, but we were supposed to make three phone calls on stage uh, to three mm-hmm. different people. And yeah. the demonstration was like, this is that. how you talk to like, just notice the subtleties and how mm-hmm. we communicate when we're talking to different people. And, um, there were a couple that came forward with like phone sex right. calls right. and there, and, and, and definitely like the reaction and maybe there's a little bit of just like, we're, we're just conditioned to not, be totally ready to like see that or be comfortable with it anyway. But, Mm. but then in this context, it was just like, it's not skillful. 
Um, it's not being done in a skillful way. Like, right. whereas if you go to a, a performance of a, of a play, ideally they've thought really thoughtfully crafted these scenes to like make sense in the context and you're ready for it. And, and it's been refined. I mean, and there's another, like, there's an example that I, I, th- I do also think about a lot because there's a really great, in my opinion, story in a book I edited called Spanked. And it's a daddy girl role-playing scene. And it's very clear. It's crystal clear that it's role-playing because they break role to mm-hmm. like discuss how their roles have come about. But someone left a review that was just like, this has incest. And I was just like, did you even read it? Like, I'm like, yeah. it only works for me because they break the scene and tell you what's happening and then go back to it. Like, and you're getting this, you're kind of getting both sides. You're getting the fantasy that they're living. And then you're getting the, the, you know, real life, obviously it's fiction, but you're getting the other side of the fantasy of like crafting that fantasy. And to me, like those work together, you know, like each informs the other. And it's very frustrating because you can't, I mean, I don't know who this stranger is who's left Mm. this review. And like, I, I don't, I, I guess it was frustrating because I felt like they're criticizing something that doesn't exist. Like mm. that's not what happened, but that's not what they took away from it. So, you know, you, you, again, you can't please everyone, but yeah, um, I, I think too, like you're also dealing with something that is inherently very taboo for most people, you know, like for a lot of us growing up, sexuality and sex, anything outside of the, you know, the like nuclear cookie cutter, like, have sex to make babies is taboo. That's that's one of the reasons we do this podcast. And so when you introduce anything that's like even just skewing outside of that normality, you're bound to get someone who's just like totally thrown off by it or totally offended by it or totally grossed out or what have you. I'm not saying you should read something that offends you or you find problematic, you know, I I definitely think if you're interested in erotica, there's something out there for Mm -hmm. you. I don't necessarily have all the answers of what that is, but like, like someone once said to me, Oh, my wife like would like to read your books, but she doesn't like certain words, which are were, like cock and pussy. And I'm like, well, <laughs> those are going to be pretty much in all of them, yeah, <laughs> not on yeah. every page. Like yeah. some people use other words, but there's not a million great words. And yeah. those just are the words. So like, if that's your situation, like, I don't know what to tell you just because there just aren't a lot of great alternatives. But I also felt like, oh, I wish there was something that I knew mm. of that had sex scenes, but you know, I, I wanted to help her, but I, I don't know what that is, but it was like a weird critique. Cause I'm like, I can't do anything about that. Cause that's how people write. And that's, those words are just going to come up. And a lot of people think they're sexy. So it's, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for sure. As someone who, who grew up pretty like sheltered, I, I, you know, reading those words on the page is already like, Oh, Oh, we're going there. And it is like, I couldn't, I couldn't read those. I couldn't say those words out loud for so long. So to read them then yeah, there's a definite like response of like, okay, we're going there and now I'm getting kind of turned on. But for someone who's like, doesn't even like the, the sexy names for things just like must be so hard to get, yeah to, right. to get into the, you game, need to go, you need to read literature. those, uh, those, those pieces of literature that existed before those words existed. You need to go okay. way back, you know? Well, way, way back. <laughs> way, way, way back. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> how, yeah. As, 
how hard is it to break into erotic literature for a new writer and or an experienced writer who's never done erotic literature before? I feel like, no, I don't really have something to compare it to, but I do feel like it's relatively easy and that there's a lot of editors like me who are looking for short stories and, you know, you don't need to have gone to school for it. You don't need to have had X amount of sexual experience. I think like anything, you need to read some erotica and then see what you can come up with on your own. But in all of my books, I publish authors I've never worked with before. And a lot of times they're this, it's their first erotic story. And I love that. Like, it makes me very proud as an editor to be able to um, give someone their first publishing credit. And I also Mm. think it's good for readers. Like they get to hear a new voice and learn about something, maybe not learn, but, you know, experience vicariously something they haven't read before a different voice. Like, I think there's always room for it because readers are hungry for just different ways of approaching sex and different ways of telling a story. And that's why I still do this. Like I've edited now over 70 anthologies and I always say, okay, I'll stop when it feels like I'm just doing the same thing over and over, but Mm. it always feels fresh because there's new writers sending me stories and there's new approaches they take. Like it might be the same theme, whatever that theme is, but everyone's going to tackle it slightly differently. And often in ways that I never would, even if I was just sitting at my computer for days mm. on end, just cause I don't, I don't write about aliens or I don't write about whatever sports or whatever it is, you know? There's, so I just think there's, oh, there's so much room for, for new voices, especially if you're, you know, have a, a unique approach to it. Mm. This, this might be a random question, but do you, do you think that, do you think that like, um, like the rise in through, through the advent of like the internet, do you think the rise in, in fan fiction, erotic fan fiction has kind of played a role in cultivating newer voices in the world of erotic literature over the last, you know, 20 years? I do think it has. I'm not an expert in fan fiction, but I do know that a lot of writers got started doing that right. because it was an outlet that they, you know, knew about. It was characters that they were familiar with. And it, you know, I assume that that made it feel a little bit easier because mm. they were sort of tweaking something that already existed. Uh, I worked on a project this year, the Good Sex Awards, and you can read the winners and finalists at goodsexawards.com. And we had a fan fiction section and it was really interesting to me to, to read about like what these characters were doing. And, you know, I I think also like you're tapping into an already existing fandom Mm. in that case. So you, and you get feedback from that, from people in that group. So I think um, definitely that's, I think that's helped sort of make more people open to erotica, even if they don't know that they're into erotica per se, like they're like, maybe they're like, okay, I'm into fan fiction, but then they discover, you know, non-fan fiction erotic Mm -hmm. writing. Mm -hmm. Cool. I I felt compelled to ask this and I just will, because I feel like we're getting close to a close, but when you mentioned um, like hearing lots of people's voices and lots of different people's voices, I was wondering if um, 
if there's any like voices missing that stand out to you and cause I, I always feel like there's great, like, like a lesbian erotica, like that, that seems to be something that I gravitate towards. And I, and I feel like I've read lots of great expressions of other LGBTQ, um, erotica and, uh, and so on, but, and, 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 um, different, um, ranges of like physical mobility and young writers and old writers. Is there, is there enough, is there enough cis white men uh, erotic <laughs> yeah. literature out there? I will say a few things that I would generally like to see more of, um, you know, a lot of people write characters who are in their twenties and thirties, which, mm. you know, mm. I think that makes sense if you are in your twenties, thirties, or just, you think that's what people want to read. But I always encourage authors to write about older characters too. And in non-stereotypical ways, um, I think that's in many ways an underserved market. Um, there's a great book called Ageless Erotica edited by Joan Price. And those are all characters who are 50 or over. And mm. what I thought it did really well was, um, incorporate real life like uh, issues that older people face like you know knee problems or physical I mean not not every story is like that but just I felt like they were sexy and hot but also had these realistic elements that <clears throat> frankly most of us are going to face if we mm. live to be beyond 50 so um that is one thing um I think there's still not that I haven't published this or seen a lot of it, but there is a lot of femdom erotica that I see, you know, that's online, but I, I feel like there's still more, uh, I see, I, I encounter more stories about, uh, women who are submissive than I yeah. do about, especially from the point of view of male submissives. Um, I don't, read as much of that I don't see as much of that and I also don't see I mean there is there a lot of that does exist um I mean you can find it easily but that just in terms of what gets to my mm -hmm. personal inbox and um this <laughs> does exist but also I would like to see more of is just more mm. variety of um body sizes and mm. fat representation um there's a lot of idealization of sort of the traditional standard of beauty for for all genders, I would say, that I see in a lot of erotica um, that I would like to see expanded. Mm -hmm. That's a great answer. Thank you. Rachel, um, <clears throat> this has been really, really fun. I And I, I'm, I feel like we really... Uh, we we deep dived into uh, into erotic literature in a way I don't think we have yet, which is which is really exciting for me. Um, uh, I'm excited to get out there and and go on my therapist search uh, for for some decent erotic literature. But uh, uh, before we we wrap this up, how can how can our listeners keep up with the work that you do, with anything that you have in the pipeline, um, and just in general, just keep up with you. Uh, I, the place I post the most is on Twitter where my handle is Raquelita, R-A-Q-U-E-L-I-T-A. -E um, my website, rachelkramerbustle.com and you can sign up for my newsletter and there I'll post on my site and the newsletter, like when I'm looking for new authors. Um, and then I also, uh, I edit this best women's erotica of the year series and I post best women's erotica on Instagram. Mm. There you can also get information um 
those and I'm Rachel Kramer Bustle on Instagram, but those are probably the main places. Amazing. Uh, Rachel, thank you. This has been really, really fun. Really does mean a lot that you took out a uh, time out of your day today to sit down with us and to stop and... reading erotica for a half a second. <laughs> yeah, and... yeah, yeah, and open our minds up to erotica <laughs> just uh, a little bit more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, baby. Hello, my love. Uh, ready for another episode? Well, actually, hold on. Wait, I just I just realized this is the first aftercare. So we've already gone through most of the episode. That, that's right. And what a conversation it was that we just had. Ding dong. Ding dong. Yes, it was great. Uh, Rachel was a wonderful guest. And uh, I'm glad we got to have somebody on early up in season three who was uh whose focus was on erotic literature because i feel like erotic literature is one of those things that we have talked about at length on the show in the past mm-hmm. um because brad you uh you're a fan right you like i'm a fan but i may have uh, our audience may have an over uh, an exaggerated uh, idea of, of your how, fandom of my fandom like oh. i have a book or maybe two I do too. that i've only really you know i only have read maybe one chapter of each and mm. but i've i've read other erotic novels it's not like my go to thing necessarily like i know it's going to be a little bit of work when right. i dive into erotica um but that's, the good stuff gets gets me going like pretty yeah. quickly that's funny because we've had people like we've had people reach out i've had people reach out to me to be like hey can you ask bridie what i should be reading for erotic literature because like you're i know and i'm like i don't know tell them this is what i'm reading but i really right. only read like five pages which is it's it's hard to make recommendations um in that way, because I have no idea what's in that book. And so right. someone might like read a different chapter than me and be like, be, yeah, right. Shook and up. then I, I could be canceled for that. Well then having said that, how did this, um, how did this conversation with Rachel in, in, enforce your thoughts going forward when it comes to, um, dabbling in the in the arts of erotic literature that's a really good question um for sure i still feel just as daunted about the idea of writing Mm. something like that um it it just feels like it can go wrong so quickly it can go into like weird like you know my dad wrote a porno like you know right Right. You start out, you got some, first you got to flesh out your characters. You got to figure out the, the, you know, they have to be fully fleshed out humans and at least in your mind. And then to get just to craft just the right language, to use those four letter words at exactly the right time for the build. It just seems, I mean, it's, I guess it's just as daunting as any, uh, as writing any story, but with erotica, it seems like it could get embarrassing really, really quickly. Which four letter <laughs> words are you referring to? Fuck? Um, Cock? Yeah. 
Yeah, fuck. Cunt? Cock, cunt. Um, I think four-letter letter words. Word. Four-letter words. So actually, I had this up to talk about today because it's referenced in something I want to read to you. So I'm okay. on this Wikipedia article called Four-Letter Word. And uh, it says the phrase, this is so funny, the phrase four-letter word refers to a set of English language words written with four letters, which are considered profane, including common, popular, or slang terms for excretory functions, sexual activity, piss, shit, fuck, and genitalia, Uh, cock, blasphemies, cunt, Terms relating to hell or damnation when used outside of religious contexts. Yeah, hell, or damn. S- or slurs. Um, the four-letter claim refers to the fact that many, but not all, English swear words are incidentally four-character monosyllables. This mm. description came into use during the first half of the 20th century. So, oh yeah, oh, it's actually written below. I was like, there's no way they're going to write these in the Wikipedia article, but they did. So common four-letter words in this sense that are widely considered vulgar or offensive to a notable degree include, and each of these you can click on separately, cunt, fuck, and regional variants such as feck, fick, fock, and folk. Feck. Jism, jizz, shit, twat, and tits. Piss, formerly an offensive swear word, in particular, however, may be used in non-excretory contexts as, as in pissed off yeah, um, or pissed off. drunk mm-hmm. that taking are not the, considered particularly piss, offensive. Taking the exactly. piss out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Are there other words mm-hmm. there? This is fun. Um, piss also uh, occurs several times with its excretory meaning in the King James Bible. So people in the Bible are pissing places. Uh, I think that's it. Several of these have been declared legally indecent under the United States Federal Communications Commission. Cunt for sure is in there. You can say shit. I think you can say shit though now. You want a few more? Yeah. Okay. Uh, A number of additional words of this length are upsetting to some for religious or personal sensitivity reasons, such as arse, damn, Crap. Who's, get, who's getting fucking rattled by arse? Okay, once I said to my stepmother, when I was probably like mm, 11 or 12, I said, she was complaining about something, and I said, well, that's a bugger. And she looked at me like I had said one of the profane, illegally profane words. Really? But I was like, if something bugs you, then it's a bugger. But if you say bugger off, it's basically like saying fuck off. You know, I there's something I really love about like really unique combinations of swear words. Mm-hmm. You often you find it in comedy a lot. You know, like some some. Um, I think you should leave is like a good example of one. It's like a show on Netflix that I was just like I was just hearing all those words and I was like, what would be when you said that you were about to say something to your stepmom? I was like, please tell me. You said like, suck my arse, you piss tits like, you know like <laughs> like just like three three swears that no, are like that arse no me... piss no tits no but suck my arse you you piss tits you said a piss tits that's that's fight words those are fight words <laughs> suck my arse you pair of piss tits just the just you suggesting that that i would that 
that would be something that would come out of my mouth, one, but to my stepmother, 100% made just like doom enter my body. Um, there's a few, there's a few more. Um, so we got damn crap, hell, piss, wang, and wank. Um, and then there's several listed that are slurs, which I'm not going to read. Um, but then several four letter words have, have multiple meanings. Honky or cracker? Are those in there? No, no. Didn't, Didn't think so. No. Um, so we've got, uh, uh, okay, usually only offend. They have multiple meanings. Usually only offend when used in their vulgar senses. For example, cock, dick, knob, muff, pus, puss, uh, shag, and toss. Knob. I love the word knob. <laughs> if I wrote, if I wrote an erotic novel, novel, I, all they'd say is knob. Like <laughs> she, she, she pulled her panties to the side and with a wet dripping vagina sat upon his knob. Okay. You like that? No, I no. don't. And this is why I don't want to read any of your erotic literature. I don't want to write a lot of erotic literature. Okay, oh, wait. suck my arse, you pissed it, you set of pissed it. <laughs> fucking jerk my knob. <laughs> I'm yelling this in a hotel. I'm sure there's someone next door just like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> Wait, there's another one that that I gotta I gotta get to. Okay, yeah, sweet. Okay, a borderline category includes words that are euphemistic evasions of stronger words, as well as all those that happen to be short and have both an expletive sound to some listeners, as well as a sexual or excretory meaning. Okay, that's a long explanation, but here are some examples. Okay, but 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 crud. Ooh. Darn, dump, heck, poop, slag, oh. slut, and turd. Yo, slut. Whoa. Slut doesn't fit in there. All those words are like make me giggle. Slut, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Slut right. is also fighting words. Like, well, yeah, I guess. Slag I don't off you, slag off you, fat slut. Like that. <laughs> whoa. Yeah. Like that's fucking. Someone says that to you. It's about to That's get violent. Fighting words. Slag yeah. off. Don't say that to me. I love that poop salute. is in there. I just saw turd. Slag off and your I poopy slut. <laughs> oh, Gidoki. God. This if is you're fun. interested in yeah, okay. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, there's Holy more. Shit. There's all kinds of more fun uh euphemisms in other languages if you want to head over to Wikipedia, four-letter word entry. But that's not what I I only looked that up in reference to like a one quick thing and a longer thing that I wanted to mm. read. Is this still an appropriate thing to do? Read sure. my longer article? Sure. I was just thinking about how funny it would be and how much extra work it would be for me to go through and bleep out every single word that was just said. <laughs> and the only way you can hear what we said is if you subscribe to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash on where you can hear the real words. Yes, I love this idea. That's this episode has to come I, out today. Yeah, no, I, I, gotta, I gotta drop this episode <laughs> in like five minutes. So I don't have fucking time. Okay, well, uh, I need read, more read than what five you're minutes. Read my, uh, my laptop's about to die here, so I just gotta plug it in. Okay. So I don't know how I came across this. Um, it's an article from the 26th of October, 2011. Uh, which is a handful of years ago now, almost 10 years ago, but I think still relevant. 
Um, and it's called how the joy of sex was illustrated. Um, I don't know, Jeremy, if you've ever encountered this book, but I know I encountered it in my parents' library, um, as a young person and definitely flipped through the book, the joy of sex many times when I thought I could be like really sneaky about it. I think we talked about the book on the show, like, like multiple, multiple times. And Mm -hmm. I have, I, I don't even, I don't. I don't think I don't I don't know what the you know I gotta look it up I don't even know what the book looks like what's it called the the what the joy of sex yeah go ahead and bring up some images like if you if you Google image that show us some images on on uh, for the patrons who oh, are watching this oh well, geez. yeah show- are these is this the is this the artwork in the book hold on this can't be it all pencil drawings they're all pencil drawings but they look like hold photographs hold on hold on yeah. hold on hold on. You're going to bring up something uh, really gnarly, aren't you? No, 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 no. Here, hold on here. Um, Come on, give me a fucking break. Well, Uh, let me just tell you while you're you're looking that up. Like this? Is this what you're talking about? Because this is fucking hardcore. No. No. This isn't it? No. This is hot. Whatever this is. So wait, is it? That just looks like a ripoff of it. I think it is. I think it's like the new joy of sex. No, there's no new joy of sex. Don't what? don't look at the new ones. What about look, this? Is this look it? that. No, uh, maybe the, up, the, but the one below it. it says the, the updated joy of sex. I mean, they really got updated. Yeah. Look at these fucking haircuts. Are you kidding me? Well, Get the fuck out of here. Let, okay. Well, anyway, it was illustrated in the seventies, oh. so that's why they look like this. And it's got a really cool story that I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. Yeah. Tell me. I'm uh, I'm digging this. This is good. Okay, 40 years ago, a London... Sorry, one second. This is a... Yeah, it's from BBC News from 10 years ago. How Hi, the mate. joy of sex... Cheerio! Ha- Fuck off. Slag off, you fucking cunt. <laughs> uh, how the joy of sex was illustrated. Okay, 40 years ago, a London publisher was working on a groundbreaking sex manual, a gourmet guide to sexual pleasure with copious and detailed illustrations. But how could this be done tastefully and legally? Think of the joy of sex and chances are your mind will drift to an image of a man with a bushy beard and a woman with hairy armpits. It's not a photograph, but the nearest thing to it in pen and ink. In early 1970s Britain, photographs would have been too risque. But hand-drawn illustrations based on photographs, maybe society was ready for that. We were a bit nervous when we took this on, remembers one of the book's illustrators, Chris Foss. The publisher had a red contract, which confirmed that they would pay our defense if some old fart decided to make an issue out of it. Whoa. In the summer of 1971, Britain had been gripped by the Oz trial in which the editors of a satirical magazine were found guilty of obscenity for publishing a sexualized parody of the children's comic character Rupert Bear. The judge was famously called a boring old fart in court by a defense witness, the comedian Marty Feldman. That's funny. It was also only 11 years since Penguin Books had faced an obscenity charge for publishing D.H. Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's Lover, the full text complete with four-letter words and descriptions of sex between the lady and the gamekeeper. Mm. 
But Penguin had been found not guilty thanks to the literary merit of the work. So Joy of Sex art director Peter Kindersley calculated that the quality of the artwork would shield the publishers, Mitchell Beasley, from prosecution. So I just wanted to uh, dial back to that Lady Chatterley's lover. So Penguin Books had faced just 10 years prior an obscenity charge for publishing this book with the four letter words and the publisher won and went on to sell 3 million copies. Another little factoid that I just read. For for Lady Chatterley's lover. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll have to have a follow up uh, episode on that, on that book. Okay. Um, the images were graphic. They showed genitals and countless sex positions, but they were also artistic and tasteful. For good measure, he also added a number of historical images from India and Japan. This is a quote. There was concern about the explicitness of the pictures, and therefore we thought as a foil, we would put in some of these ancient pictures. In a way, we were relating ourselves to the past. We wanted to make the book feel as though it was related to a great tradition of explicit pictures. Mm. Positions. Before the artist could start work, the team had to find models to pose for them. Plan A, explains Mr. Kindersley, was to use models from London's Soho district, the hotbed of the capital's sex industry. A quote. We found all these people who started posing, but halfway through the pose, they would ask for an extra 100 quid. It was just complete chaos, he says. There was some difficulty finding a workable plan B. As the project approached a dead end, it was the book's other illustrator, Charles Raymond, responsible for the color artwork, who came to the rescue. He volunteered to do the modeling himself with his German wife, Edeltraud. Edeltraud? What a Mm -hmm. name. Right? Uh, Chris Voss, who was responsible for the book's black and white illustrations, took the photos. The book's author, Dr. Alex Comfort, had given them dozens of positions to get through, and all were done for real over two hectic days in in early 1972. Uh, The miners were on strike, and they had only limited light to work with before the power cuts would plunge them into darkness. We'd say, Charlie, we've only got another 20 minutes, recalls Mr. Foss. And he'd say, oh, I'm terribly sorry. And he'd go off to prepare himself to perform again. And Edeltraud would go, Charles, Charles, please, come on. We only have 10 minutes, please. Two more positions. So it was all quite fraught shooting the positions, but it worked. The same kind of -of matter-of-fact approach applied in the post-production. Quote, I remember Chris and Charles coming into the office with all of these absolutely explicit photographs, says Mr. Kindersley. And we all stood around saying, that's a good one. Yeah, that's very good. Perhaps we were in a bubble. We were all completely bonkers, he laughs. We all just took it literally. We said, yes, that's a great picture of bondage or whatever it was. There was never the conversation, oh, we couldn't put that in the book. Okay. The picture, the pictures delighted author Alex Comfort, partly because Charles and Edeltraud seemed so natural and unposed, absorbed in their private sexual relationship. Mm. The great thing about Charles and his wife was that they were completely authentic. You couldn't get more authentic, said Mr. Kindersley. It was a real happening. It wasn't a cooked up thing. And Alex really liked that. Dr. Comfort had been spending a considerable amount of time in California, whose permissive sexual mores, including foursomes and moresomes, he believed would become the norm everywhere. 
He was a frequent visitor to the Sandstone Ranch, a kind of retreat for sexual adventure, where clothes were more often off than on, and sex with multiple partners was the norm. His message in the book, which marked a big departure from earlier writings on the subject, was that sex and sexual experimentation were fun. The different positions reproduced by Charles and Edeltraud were compared to the courses of a meal. He too, however, was anxious about possible repercussions, such as being struck off the medical register. So he presented himself in the original edition as the editor, claiming that an anonymous couple had handed him the text, which he had merely tweaked and contextualized. But there were no repercussions. The timing of the book was perfect, and the marriage of a sexually liberal message and daring but inoffensive pictures was an instant hit. As Mr. Kindersley toured book fairs around the world, the response was electric, and many big publishers took it on. There were, of course, some rejections. The one he remembers best was the U.S. men's magazine Playboy. The models were just a little too hairy for their liking. The joy of sex ended up taking selling more than 10 million copies around the world, more than 5 million in the United States alone, where it stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for a decade. Hmm. So that's all I'll read. There is more, and I can post a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. I feel like we but, need uh, a copy of this book. Well, oh, actually, I am going to read a little yeah. bit more. I just like the way uh, that the the... So this is the illustrator of the black and white photos. Okay. This is Chris Foss. Chris Foss has not looked back at the original black and white illustrations he did for the book for almost 30 years. Snapping open a sturdy little gray suitcase, he starts to root through. He used to do up to three book covers a week, and so back then considered this just another job. With the benefit of hindsight, it was a seminal work, but of course at the time, you just didn't realize this. What does he attribute the book's success to? He stops and lingers on an image of Charles in Edeltraud, stretched out post-coitally on a rug. That's very tender, isn't it? They're obviously having a relationship. You can just tell by the way her body lies. Mm. He pauses for a moment. I think the fact that they were in love had something to do with it. Mm. Isn't that nice? That is very sweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. But I can totally ruin that for everyone. Um, oh, uh, here if, we go. But I'll I'll let you I'll let you ruin it for ruin yourselves yourself? if you want to. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is, I came there across, like, is there like uh, some controversial stuff in there, or what's the? Yeah, I think so. I mean, not. It was like this is not how like you fuck the worst. <laughs> no, it says. Uh, I guess it says that um, gay men are gay because vulvas are terrifying. They find yeah. vulvas terrifying. Yeah, that's that's why they're gay. That's that's uh, problematic. <laughs> yeah, so it's got. Can't and, be saying that. And and the girls that I was listening to, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna tell you the name of this um, podcast and this episode because I think the concept of their podcast is really neat. Um, th- they're clearly you know not impressed with the fact there's like only two pictures that include the clitoris, and mm-hmm. the writers also say like the 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 you know, that, that women can orgasm just from like, it's very obsessed with titty with titties is what they said. And well, a lot, of, a lot I, of, I was looking at more images and, uh, there was a lot of tits, a lot of tits slagging off there in the <laughs> poopy section. 
<laughs> oh God. Um, yeah. So, so as I was riding the bus home today from my second week of massage therapy, mm-hmm. um, I came across this podcast called by the book. I don't know if I need to look it up. Okay. It's called by the book and there's two female hosts. One's a comedian. One is a social like commentator. And the, the concept of their podcast is it's all about self-help books and they, mm-hmm do experiments like living by them, like trying to incorporate them into their life lives. Um, and so joy of sex is like part of a, a series that they did a series that they did on like generational self-help books, like through the ages kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. I mean, it's called the joy of sex podcast is called by the book. It's a stitcher podcast. It's well, really well. It sounds great. So, it cool. I, take your ears. I, yeah, I need uh, I need some stuff to listen to when I drive back to uh, Halifax tomorrow. So I'm, I'll add that to the list. Oh, you're gonna drive all the way home in one day? No, 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 no. I'm gonna I gotta. I mean, so I'm in uh, I'm in Waterloo. I spoke at Wilfrid Laurier University for the third year in a row for uh, their Frosh Week, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna split the dr- drive up into two days. Nice. So yeah. Okay, good. But I leave early tomorrow morning, and um, uh, yeah, very excited. I been ex- I'm excited for the drive. Like I, I love driving. I spent the entire drive up here, the two days driving up here, listening to the entire catalog of Smartless, and I swear oh, to yeah. God, it's the best podcast I've ever listened to. I love those fucking dopes. They're That's so good. really funny. They're That's so really good. funny. Yeah. I lo- the first one I started with was Zach Galifianakis, but I oh. none of the rest of them lived up to it for me. Oh yeah, that, that's a good one. That's a that's yeah. a really good one. The David Cross one killed me. Anyway, whatever. Uh. That's a <laughs> we don't have to get into all that. Um, uh, well, this has been really fun. I, I like this um, aftercare thing. You know, it's it's fun to be able to talk at length about the subject matter that we've we've kind of dived into with our with our our guests. And uh, this, will, this, you know, this is what we're, we'll be trying to do for the majority of uh, season three. But, um, you know, you might find us at the top of an episode for a little bit of foreplay sometimes, bouncing back into the, into the aftercare. But we hope you enjoy it, and we would love to hear your thoughts. Um, we love hearing from any and all of you. You can uh, send us an email, termionpodcast at gmail.com, or you can slide, slippity slide into the DMs, as the kids are saying. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, we just really appreciate everyone who's still tuning in and coming back, uh, for our, for our new season here. And of course, to our patrons, we couldn't do this without you. We love each and every one of you. Thank you. Um, and if you want to, if you want to watch these four play segments or these aftercare segments, you can go to patreon.com slash turn me on where you get video access. So you can look at Bridie and I and our faces and And sometimes we're even in the same room. Sometimes With we are. A puppy. Yeah. That's right. With a puppy. That is right. So. Oh, well, friends. I miss, I miss him so much right now. I bet. He's going to seem so big when you get back. <sighs> I've gone five days. I know. Five days is a lot of growth. Those mm-hmm. little fuckers. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, this was fun, folks. Can't wait to uh, see you all again next week, even though I don't see any one of you. Um, I visualize each one of you individually. Thinking of you up here. I, I, I painted it. See you up in my a, head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's there's too many of you in my head. 
and it's it's quite maddening <laughs> and I have to see a doctor about it. <laughs> Can you all please stop talking at the same time? Yes, please. Raise your hands <laughs> for the love of God. Um, all right. Uh, folks, thanks again for tuning in. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review. It would mean the world to us. Hit the follow button if you're on Spotify and um, and if you're on any other kind of app, if there's somewhere to input any kind of opinion, do it. <laughs> Worth it. You shit pisser. You fucking I tried. slag, you slag <laughs> titty piss shit. <laughs> oh, hope y'all had your headphones on for that <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, folks, that is it for this week. Until next week. Go touch yourself. Go slag off. <laughs>